0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hola, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryan. There's Jerry over there. And this is Stuff You Should Know, uh, the poor attempts at Spanish edition.
2: And yet another drug cast.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Covering all the drugs, everybody,
1: one by one.
2: And this one is ayahuasca.
1: We'll have to do one just specifically on DMT sometime too. All right, because they're you know it's the DMT is the base of ayahuasca, but it's different. I mean, there's other stuff going on with ayahuasca that DMT doesn't have. And spoiler alert: DMT is its own thing for sure, from what I can tell. Yeah. Okay, so it's agreed then, Chuck.
2: Yeah, but you just ruined this whole episode.
1: Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, let's go back to the beginning then.
2: Uh, yeah, ayahuasca. Uh, it has a bunch of different names, and this is something I didn't know
0: because
2: mm-hmm. I'm a dummy. I didn't know anything about ayahuasca except to to use it as jokes. You know, yeah, it's been yeah. sort of a running punchline. Okay, like you know, you have to forgive me. I'm on ayahuasca. That kind of thing. I gotcha. But uh, I, I thought it was that was the name of like a plant. And it was one plant yeah, called ayahuasca. Right, that's sort what I like, thought. Sort of like, what's the, uh, what's the other plant? The, the, corn.
1: <laughs> yeah, just sort of like corn.
2: <laughs> um, no, the one that like, you know, the doors took the. the what, oh, uh, the, mescaline? Yeah, mescaline.
1: Yeah, but that's not the plant. What's the plant? Is mescaline the plant too? No, what Peyote. Peyote, that's right. But that's the mescaline buttons on a peyote plant. Right, which we haven't covered yet. We should do one on peyote. Bam, another drug cast coming at you. Uh, But
2: ayahuasca is not the name of a plant. No. Uh, It is actually a a concoction made from a couple of different plants.
1: Yeah, yeah, and originally it was just one plant, actually, known as the vine of death. Yeah, are are we going to pronounce these? Well, let's see what we can do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay,
2: You did the time-wasting throat clear. I know I that move.
1: <laughs> it, it's stalling. So, if you go and drink ayahuasca today, you're probably getting one that's a combination of a plant called Psychotria viridis. Mm-hmm. I think I got that. And a vine known as Banisteriopsis copy, C-A-A-P-I. So,
2: Psychotria viridis
1: mm-hmm.
2: and Banisteriopsis. Man, there's a lot of letters in that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, but if it's it's pronounced like it looks. Yeah, though.
2: banisteriopsis.
1: You got it. All right.
2: Copy. Right. And that one, the second one, the copy is the vine,
1: correct? Mm-hmm. That's the OG ayahuasca ingredient.
2: Right. The vine of death. And this is, uh, I guess we haven't even really said, we've danced around it. It is a, a, a drug concoction mm-hmm. that they have been taking, um, Since who knows when, but since before Europeans arrived in the New World. Sure. A long, long time in South America.
1: Yeah, and specifically, they think it may have originated among the Napo Runa tribe in Ecuador. Right. But it's spread throughout the Amazon basin. And today, if you are a uh, well-to-do tech worker (laughs) who makes your way down to South America, you're probably going to go to Peru To check out your ayahuasca trip.
2: Yeah, this became a thing, weirdly, uh, in Silicon Valley. Uh, If you were a young, uh, rich entrepreneur in Silicon Valley that has Mm a couple of hit apps on your hand, Mm -hmm. it became a thing to throw on your hoodie and travel to South America to take part in an ayahuasca ceremony. Yep. And I'm not sure, I mean, I I guess I know what happens is one... uh, one dude does that and then says, bro, you got to do this.
1: <laughs> right. A late night conversation at Burning Man opens the floodgates.
2: Absolutely. That's how it went down. <laughs> and then before you know it, it, it's a thing.
1: Right. You know there's some kids in Silicon Valley being like, wait a minute, wait wait a minute. Are they making fun of us right now? Yeah.
2: And then they feel that, that hood that they've never even put over their head <laughs> itching their neck. And they're like, oh. Stupid stereotypes being true.
1: (laughs) 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 Oh, man. At any rate, ayahuasca. Yes. So, um, it did start out as a traditional thing, but there's like, you know, the whole popularity that grew among Westerners traveling down to South America for whatever reason. I'm sure um, for vision quests, for fun, Mm -hmm. a drug they hadn't tried yet. Who cares? There's a lot of reasons that people travel down to South America to partake in this. Um, Certainly, most of them not nefarious or dumb. Um, Probably a lot of the reasons were great. But the, the... influx of Westerners and Western money has radically altered ayahuasca and and the ceremonies and rites and the the people who perform ayahuasca ceremonies just over like the last 10 or so years, dramatically.
2: Yeah, one might even say that the Western white man has ruined the whole thing.
1: I think that there's, I think it's been commercialized, Mm -hmm. but that there are still very much, um, uh, the the original or the real deal is protected in many ways by by the people who are like yeah you guys go drink it over there we've got our thing going on over here yeah and in fact there's at least two churches in the united states that practice ayahuasca diets um that that are real deal religions as far as the supreme court's concerned um that clearly show that there are, there is real, legit ayahuasca ceremonies being practiced throughout the world. I think both of them are are, um, from Brazil.
2: Yeah, in 2006, uh, the Supreme Court said that uh, the Unio do Vegetal, UDV, uh, was a legit religion. Uh, They are, in fact, from Brazil, Christian spiritualists, about uh, 17,000 adherents all over the world. Mm Mm-hmm uh and the literal translation of that religion is the union of the plants right so it's like a plant religion and ayahuasca is at the center of this
1: uh yeah the other one is a christian syncretism which yeah, the, is like
2: uh, santo Daime?
1: yeah that one is like um They incorporate not just indigenous Brazilian and South American beliefs, but also some African indigenous beliefs uh, or folk beliefs as well. Like it's it's a whole um, very big inclusive pantheon that that is centered around visions from ayahuasca and like an ayahuasca sacrament. It's pretty interesting.
2: Yeah, both protected uh, in the United States by law now. That this is part this plant concoction is part of their religion uh, they cannot be arrested for doing this uh, because the legalities of it is 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 technically illegal um, it's a little gray whether or not the actual plant is illegal is that mm-hmm. right
1: yeah supposedly the plants themselves are not illegal it's the co- the combination or the brew made from them that's illegal Gotcha that's what I saw I don't know that that's necessarily true and I would guess if the plants are still legal now they won't be in two three years right. Because, you know, why, why make it legal? <laughs> why let it be legal? Yeah, it's something people get enjoyment for that comes from the earth. Let's outlaw it. Yeah, I don't know if enjoyment's quite the right word, though, from the way that um, the Grabster puts it, that the, the an ayahuasca trip is not necessarily fun. It's a harrowing, psychological, spiritual journey that you're undertaking.
2: All right, let's take a break. Okay, all right. I see you getting excited over there. (laughs) Uh, And we'll talk a little bit more about DMT and, and kind of what's going on in your body physiologically right after this. So DMT, uh, which you mentioned at the onset, uh, the 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 one part of this concoction, the P. Viridis, uh, contains DMT. You gonna pronounce that?
1: Oh yes, it's <laughs> dimethyltryptamine. Oh, look at you, mm-hmm. just rolls off the tongue now, doesn't it? <laughs> it does.
2: Uh, so this is something not exclusive to P. Uh, veritus. It's found in a bunch of psychedelic substances. And this is something that can cause hallucinations, perhaps mm-hmm. uh, changes in your perception, your state of consciousness, mm-hmm. uh, your sense of self, which we'll really get into, because it has a lot to do with the ayahuasca journey. Right. Um, however, if you just eat the DMT, um, it's not going to have this, this kind of effect on you because uh, there's an enzyme called uh, monoamine uh, oxidase. Mm-hmm. And that's going to break it down in your, in your digestive system before it gets absorbed. So you have to combine it with this copy vine, which prevents the uptake of it.
1: Yeah, the copy vine has an alkaloid called a harmala alkaloid, and harmalines are psych- psychotropic in and of themselves, which is why the um, the copy vine alone used to just be ayahuasca. But the fact that it prevents um, your your the monoamine oxidase to break down the DMT, it allows your body to absorb it, and all of a sudden you're tripping balls. <laughs> Although I hear it's not all of a sudden. I think it's it takes a good 30 minutes to come on, and then it takes like a supplementary boost um, an hour or so later to to really bring on like the, the, the kind of transcendent experience that people are looking for when they take ayahuasca. Yeah, for sure. So, so you 've got the you 've got the dmt being absorbed that 's the one two punch right mm-hmm. you 've got the dmt itself and then you 've got the plant that allows the DMT to be absorbed and when you put those two things together, the p viridis and the B copy that 's what the that 's the ayahuasca that you read about in vice that 's what they 're talking about
2: yeah, and these you know this is administered by a shaman um, someone who ideally is a shaman that knows what they 're doing. And there, sometimes there are other plants that are brewed in there as well, but uh, not always. And sometimes it's brewed separately and then combined later. Sometimes it all depends on which shaman you go to of what the ritual is like. Sometimes you're included as part of it. Um, sometimes it's like a, a thick liquid tea. Sometimes it's a paste. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been described, no matter what it is, it seems like around the, uh, the horn, everybody says it, it tastes awful
1: so awful that that you can very easily throw up which is something that's pretty common with a um with an ayahuasca experience it's,
2: i didn't get that from the from the taste though i no, got no, that, no. that that was like once it's in your body it makes you nauseous and you throw up
1: right but not I, like
2: oh this tastes so bad i'm going to puke it up
1: no no because then it wouldn't be in your body long enough to be absorbed right yeah but i think the taste and the memory of the taste combined with the nausea is enough to throw up But the, whether, whether you do throw up or not, it's not necessarily like 100% you're going to throw up. The, the, the point, one of the points of an ayahuasca ceremony is to throw up. You're meant to throw up. Um, and you're you will actually be forced into this either if you don't do it from the ayahuasca you may also be given something like tobacco juice mm-hmm. like a water with tobacco that's soaked in it for a while and you'll be told to drink that so that you will throw up because this idea of purging whether it's throwing up or diarrhea is a very frequent side effect of ayahuasca very, very frequent um, you are you are meant to be purging your your body and it's meant to be this kind of symbolic spiritual pur- purge of your ego, of all the nastiness, of all the, the horribleness that's a part of you, you're getting it out as part of the trip and as the trip sets in.
2: Yeah, and uh, the taste has been described, uh, the New York Times has said it's like a um, muddy herbal taste. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone from Vox.com uh, took it, a guy named Sean Illing. He described it as a cup of motor oil diluted with a splash of water.
1: Right. So I the- read. I read it's almost as... Gross as a Necco wafer. (laughs) I don't think I've ever had a Necco wafer. Good on you. Have you? No. What, am I crazy? What are they? Necco wafers. They're like old-timey kind of like chalky candy that comes in a roll. You've seen them. Probably. You've seen them. (laughs) In my old-timey candy days. Exactly. I'm sure I did. Yeah.
2: Uh, So, all right, I guess we should talk a little bit about... Uh, like you said, um, its origin its origins in the Napo River Basin mm-hmm. by this Runa tribe, like you said, uh, and it's called the Vine of Death or the Mother Vine. This copy, and they think that early on they may have just taken this copy by itself, right?
1: Right, because like, it, without again, the brew, it's got the harmalines in it. That's not only an M-A-O-I, but also has, like, its own kind of psychoactive stuff going on. So that was the original ayahuasca.
2: Yeah, and we have written accounts from, like, the 1700s when uh, Jesuits would go to the Amazon to try and, you know, Christianize folks.
1: And trip balls.
2: <laughs> yeah, because I'm sure the entry was like, whoa. And that's it. <laughs> right. Did you hear about the guy that was just killed, the missionary?
1: Yes, on um, Sentinelese, the Sentinel Island. Yeah, he he.
2: <laughs> it was like something from a movie. He went at first, and a child shot an arrow through a Bible that he was holding. Apparently,
1: Mm-mm. I hadn't heard about that.
2: Yeah, because he had he went back a few times and was like journaling about it, mm-hmm. and said he basically like held up his Bible. It's like something from a movie, and an arrow was shot through it. I'm like, dude, if that is not like if you believe in God, that's a sign from God.
1: Well, you you remember Saying, the turn around. The man in the hole episode, we talked about them. Yeah. They were the ones that, like, you, like everyone knew, you just don't go anywhere near them. And th- some fishermen had been killed, like, years, a few years back. And this guy, I guess, had tried, um, he decided he was going to be the one. Yeah. I don't actually know enough about the story, but he clearly was trying to He's gain tr- access to them.
2: Yeah, yeah. he He yeah. was trying to spread the word of Jesus and paid... Uh, like, it's, you're not supposed, it's illegal, I think, to even trespass there. Yeah. But he paid people sort of under the table to take him there. And uh, they did so. And those people were arrested. Uh, and his family is saying, you you need to let these people go because he, like, really wanted to do this.
1: I see. It's very interesting. Yeah, it is. It's
2: crazy. But I just, like, that sounds like something you would make up from a movie, like shooting an arrow through the Bible that you're holding up. <laughs> right, exactly. You know? Uh, so we got a little sidetracked, but we were talking about the Jesuits, like having this on record in the seventeen hundreds, right? When they went and they were like, "Hey, there's something going down down here that's very interesting."
1: Yeah, and even William S. Burroughs wrote the Yeh letters um, yeah. in nineteen sixty three, and it was about his experience with the ayahuasca vine. And apparently, the the practitioners at the time knew um, well into the to the the twentieth century that you could combine it with the um, Piveritus right. vine and and have a completely different experience, but that wasn't necessarily the point. That was like an optional ceremony you could perform, but the most the most widespread and traditional ceremony was just the vine of death, right? Yeah, and then at some point, somebody started putting them together, and word about this got out. and the The mid two thousands is when it just ayahuasca like kind of hit the, the public consciousness in, in the West.
2: Yeah, I mean, in the 60s, of course, uh, in, in certain, uh, you know, subcultures in America, they knew about it because of William S. Burroughs and people seeking out, you know, things like peyote and all kinds of uh, psychedelic experiences. Mm-hmm. But it definitely was not sort of in the mainstream uh, until, you know, not not too
1: long ago. And even still, I think even at the time, it was strictly the Harmelines and And just the uh the vine that was being used, the copy vine, it was it it wasn't somebody started putting it together frequently with the um the veridis plant, and that's when it became hugely popular.
2: Yeah, so popular now that there is ayahuasca tourism big time, like going on in South America in uh said the central part is Peru's uh, Arumbamba Valley.
1: And if you, I mean, if you were going down for an ayahuasca experience, like a spiritual quest is, is the reason you're going down there. Mm-hmm. I don't fault you for that at all. Sure, um, But you have to understand the, the, you have to do your research. You can't just show up in South America and be like, all right, somebody give me some ayahuasca. Because there are a lot of um, inscrupulous and nefarious outfits that have come up Sure. To to take advantage explicitly of that kind of Western tourist. Mm-hmm. The ill informed Western tourist who is going to have a horrible, terrible trip and not going to get the spiritual experience you're looking for. Um so you have to do your research because there are some legitimate ayahuasca outfits uh in South America, but you um they're they're not going to take you if you just show up down there and you're gonna end up in some some in a bad situation.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, so taking part in, in one of these ceremonies, let's say you do find like a, a legit shaman who's willing to take your American dollars or whatever, mm-hmm. however you're paying your gold ingots and trinkets. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's it still is sort of funny. It all goes back to Burroughs with the set and setting thing, right? Uh, which is what he famously preached about any psychedelic experience is to really put a lot of thought into the set and the setting where you're going to do this. So it goes well for you. Um, so as this uh, concoction is being brewed, like I said before, sometimes you're taking part in this and helping to mash it up and brew the tea. Um, but what they're really trying to do is um, the whole ceremony isn't just like for show. It's it's all part of the thing to get you settled in and right. focused on kind of the right things going in. Like what do you want to accomplish here? What do you want to find out about yourself what questions do you have about yourself? Mm-hmm. And really get into that that frame of mind as they hand you your puke bucket. <laughs> Although I would recommend bringing your own.
1: Oh, yeah. I hadn't thought about that.
2: I would not want a, a reused puke bucket.
1: Good Lord. I hadn't even considered that. That
2: would be BYOB for
1: me. So, um, yeah, the, I can just totally see how as a, as a Westerner, you would just be like, come on, we don't need the ceremony stuff. Let's just get, give me the good stuff. Right. But that like you said, that's the point is to ease you into it, to get your mind and, and body prepared for this, this enormous trip you're about to go on. Because if you just get dropped right in the middle of it without any kind of preparation or without any kind of assistance, you're going to lose your marbles pretty pretty well. Yeah. Um so that that is a big part of going on an ayahuasca journey is is having somebody who's competent, trained, and um empathetic and willing to stay there with you to prepare you, to stay with you, to keep an eye on you. You need to be monitored. You can't be up and, like, just running off into the jungle by yourself because terrible things are going to happen to you yeah. in, in that situation. Um, and then to help you afterward as well. And from from some of the preliminary research that's starting to come in, if you undertake an ayahuasca uh, journey, I guess is, I, is the best word I can come up with, um, under the right setting, under the right guidance, with the right support, both pre, during, and after. It can have profound effects on your spirituality and your sense of connectedness to the universe. It can also possibly help you with um, with diagnosed mental illness as well.
2: Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the, the illness part, mental illness part at the end. But um, just your standard sort of uh, truth seeker, let's say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, It's very much tied into like what the, in ideal conditions in like the sixties and seventies with the LSD well, I guess beyond, but the LSD experience and that, uh, there was a lot of talk in the sixties about the ego Mm -hmm. and every, you know, hip musician in, in the United States talked about stripping away the ego Mm -hmm. from Brian Wilson to the mamas and the papas to, you know, Neil Young, uh, is stripping away that ego of yourself, basically, which which means kind of getting outside yourself to the point where uh, you're not looking at the world around you and how it affects you. Mm-hmm. But uh, there there is no you. There is no, it's a loss of self such that's so profound that you can only see the world and people around you as they exist in reality. Uh, it's, it's a pretty sort of deep, trippy thing to Try and describe in words on a podcast, mm-hmm. but I think that's sort of the general thing: is is uh, washing that ego down to where it's not around anymore, and you get like a true sense of the world around you, right? Like for the maybe for the first time.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, the ego, in and of itself, isn't a bad thing. Like it's it. They think that it developed among animals is a like that's your sense of self awareness. That's the The thing that leads you to want to preserve your own life, to get away from danger, to realize that, like, you can die because there is a you, right? It's a very basic thing. Um, The problem is, is in humans as we've evolved, our ego has also evolved and it can get to a point where it's unhealthy, it's kind of toxic, it can help you develop bad, re- bad relationships, people don't want to be around you, it can also affect your self-esteem if your ego's underdeveloped. There's a lot of problems that can go wrong with the ego. And so a lot of people who prescribe psychedelics to deal with that kind of thing say psychedelics strip away the ego. And now that we've gotten to the point w- where we are advanced enough as a civilization that we can give people acid and put them in the, an MRI machine, the wonder yeah. machine, and watch what happens. We've shown that, yes, it seems like the, the areas that are responsible for generating the ego, do not they get kind of turned off while you're um, – under the influence of psychedelics, and it allows you to connect, to see outside of yourself, to see that you are connected with all of this other stuff. So this whole ego depletion or ego stripping, um, it's a major component of not just ayahuasca, but all psychedelics, but it is a big, it's a big reason why people undertake ayahuasca um, journeys again.
2: <laughs> I love it every time you say that.
1: But get this, this. There was something I hadn't realized before, Chuck. So, that from those MRI studies, mm-hmm. they found that um, there's something called the default mode network, which is this, the thing that keeps your body humming and keeps your – it's the part of your brain that's going while you're not thinking, right? Mm-hmm. And they found that when the default mode network is suppressed – and your frontal cortex is activated, that's when it seems that your, um, your ego is at the least, it's when your ego is turned off and you're free to connect with the universe or whatever, right? Yeah. Well, that default mode network is a very primitive part of our brain. It's a very primitive system of our brain. And it kind of suggests in a way that the loss of ego is something that we may eventually evolve to. Oh, wow. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Because if your frontal cortex is what's being activated and your default mode network is inactivated, that's like your ancient brain and your evolved brain. One's activated and one's one's suppressed, and your ego's gone. That that says to me, like, well, yeah, if we keep evolving a frontal cortex, I wonder if we'll lose our ego at some point, or at least it'll be radically altered. Interesting. I thought so, too.
2: Yeah, so what can happen, Uh, to, you know, like, like any sort of psychedelic, Trip. It's going to be completely um, singular to the person that's doing it. There is mm-hmm. no across-the-board sort of sweeping statements you can make. But um, you strip away that ego, and anything can happen—from feeling uh, connected to the more connected to the universe, or the earth, or uh, the tree you're leaning against, or <laughs> maybe the the father that passed away when you were a child that you didn't have a relationship with, or the uh, loved one that you currently have a toxic relationship with, you can feel sort of a uh, not imaginary, but it, it is in your mind, but a bond, mm-hmm. uh, and that they're not like right there in front of you. Um, just n- new understandings of relationships that may be complicated or toxic in your life.
1: Right, exactly. Like you're you're re- you're seeing them in a different way because of that ego loss. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fascinating.
2: Um, and like you said it, it is a symbolic death of the ego which is why that vomiting is important like mm-hmm. uh, in theory i guess you're you're vomiting up that ego and then it's go time um apparently you can hallucinate your death uh and like you said before it's not often looked at as like hey man this is this is going to be a great time um <laughs> but party. At, at the same time i think it's also typically not like looked at as like some horror show that you're about to undergo um Although it can be, but it's just a profound uh, emotional and, and psychological experience. Right. Exactly. I've never done it. Not me either. <laughs> this is from researching it.
1: Right, exactly. Which is like, um, we've never been to the sun either, but we talked about that.
2: Yeah, and that went great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, now that you mention it, I should have used a different example.
2: Uh, let's take another break, and then we'll talk about what you kind of teased earlier with... Um, uh, ayahuasca and how it could be used to treat addiction or PTSD or other mental illnesses right after this.
1: Okay, Chuck, so we're back and we're talking about using ayahuasca as a tool, like taking that experience of being outside of yourself, of connected to the rest of the universe, of reevaluating your life in a lot of ways yeah. to cure mental illness. Um, and one of the things that it's been, I guess some studies have actually shown like, no, this this actually works, is to treat addiction. Um whether it's cigarettes or booze or drugs or whatever that that uh you can undergo an ayahuasca ceremony people have and have come out on the other side like I'm good I don't need that the cigarettes or booze or drugs or whatever yeah and one of the one of the the suggestions for what's going on with this that I saw is that you uh, you are actually healing the psychic damage that's causing you to self-medicate in the first place. Right.
2: Something probably from your past. hmm
1: And then, so you, with without that need to self-medicate, you don't have necessarily the desire to drink or smoke cigarettes or whatever that you used to, which is a different model of addiction that's kind of starting to gain a little bit of traction but is also very controversial because it makes it sound like addiction is a choice. Right. Like you're self-medicating. You're choosing to do all those drugs and, like, throw your life away because of some psychic trauma. But there there does seem to be a camp in, in uh, medicine that is saying like, mm, this actually might have legs. It kind of makes a lot of sense. And from what I can tell, those ayahuasca studies kind of are a checkmark in that view's favor.
2: Yeah. And I think that can work in conjunction with the other piece, which is removing that ego, uh, even if it's for whatever, how many hours that you're undergoing this trip, um, could just simply disrupt that You know, you often hear about addiction being like this uh, sort of cycle, Mm -hmm. like a cyclical thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And even just disrupting that cyclical path or that circular path um, can be enough to sort of get you on the off-ramp from using. Yeah. Get you on the off-ramp?
1: Get you, (laughs) yeah, on the off-ramp. Yes. That's what you said, right? Yeah, and then eventually
2: off that (laughs) off-ramp onto a nice, chill side street.
1: Yeah, and then maybe a nice drive into the country, past a few cows, and then sleep.
2: Yeah. I had a a therapist one time that talked about uh, getting off of the highway. It was a metaphor that actually worked for me. Mm -hmm. But like choosing to get off the highway when certain things were happening. And sometimes something that simple just kind of clicks in. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, if I notice something's going on. I'm speeding down that highway toward the badness. Mm-hmm. and just get on that exit ramp, and now I'm in my neighborhood.
1: Now I'm hanging out <laughs> with cows in, in a nice bucolic pasture. Uh,
2: PTSD is another, uh, specifically, I think, a lot of times with military PTSD, mm-hmm. um, they've been you know using psychedelics more and more, and ayahuasca is no stranger to this treatment. And um, while it is not a magic pill, they are doing some studies on this, and it seems like... Uh, and like with all these, it's tough to get funding for these kind of studies sometimes. Uh-huh. But it does seem like it's gaining more ground in the medical community to try out uh, these kind of experiments.
1: Well, they're trying like hell to get some of these studies underway in the United States. But because ayahuasca is considered a Schedule I drug, which is yeah. the the worst, most nefarious drugs of all, um, they can't. They just I don't think there's been a single study in the U.S. But – Fortunately, they can just go down to South America and do the the best they can with some of the ayahuasca centers that are down there and like again, there are some legitimate ayahuasca centers that take western tourists for ayahuasca journeys um and some groups are are going down there to partner with those centers to study people. Some of the people they're trying to study are PTSD patients and they think that if ayahuasca is helping people with PTSD, which it seems to be, it's it's basically negative exposure therapy where you're dredging up all of those worst, the, your worst memories that are yeah. cr- causing your PTSD, which is bringing them to the surface and allowing your awareness to kind of shine a light on them and say, okay, I'm going to recategorize these now and they're not being categorized as bad and, and frightening as they were before it's not as traumatic as as they were originally categorized.
2: Yeah, and and specifically in this study that you're thinking about is uh or talking about is combat veterans
1: mm.
2: uh suffering from PTSD and it's the Temple of the Way of Light uh in the Amazon has partnered with uh a group in Spain and the UK, the International Center for Ethnobotanical Research and Service in Spain and then the Beckley uh Foundation in the UK, and they're treating close to 600 uh, combat veterans a year. And it says it's the largest psychedelic study um, ever undertaken. So,
1: oh wow, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, I know that they're using um, MDMA to treat PTSD as well. And then I can't remember the name of that one treatment, but remember you like follow a pen with your eyes while you're going over your worst memory and it, it recategorizes the, the memories as less scary. I don't remember that one yeah I can't remember what we talked about it in, but that apparently works really well too. so without the vomiting,
2: right, <laughs> that's a big part of it though, my friend mm. just bring your own bucket uh problems with ayahuasca um it is not generally toxic, and you would have to take uh so much ayahuasca sort of like when we were talking about marijuana like is there even a lethal dose? Can you even say that uh because the lethal dose apparently for ayahuasca is twenty times what you would normally take in a typical ceremony, mm-hmm. uh, as, as the grabster put it, or uh, he might have been quoting someone, but it's, uh, could could anyone even choke this much of that
1: down? Right. <laughs>
2: like, Probably not. Is that even possible?
1: But there have been, I mean, there have been some deaths that have been related to ayahuasca. And, and when you dig a little deeper, you find like, oh, it wasn't actually the ayahuasca directly that caused this, but these people would not have died had they not been in South America on the ayahuasca journey, right? Yeah. That's so a good way to say it. There's this one guy who um, who died in, I believe, 2014. He was an American. No, he's British, I'm sorry, and his name was Henry Miller. And he uh, died on the way to the hospital because he'd gone kind of non-responsive. And the ayahuasqueros, ayahuasqueros, yeah, I said it, um, that took him to the hospital, had him on a motorcycle. And he fell off the motorcycle and died of a head injury on the way to the hospital. So it wasn't the ayahuasca that killed him, but he wouldn't have been on the motorcycle in the first place had he not right. um, been on this ayahuasca trip. So the shorthand and in, in the the headlines is a man dies from ayahuasca.
2: Yeah, there have been some other cases where, like, people would uh, be having a bad trip and maybe attack someone else, and that would lead to, like, violence or death. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or just this year in 2018 in Peru, um, an 81-year-old shaman uh, woman was shot and killed, uh, and then a Canadian man was murdered for revenge for that killing. Yeah. But supposedly this had nothing to do with, like, being under the influence, but it was some sort of dispute happened during this this whole conflict. Yeah.
1: The woman was named Olivia Arevalo, and she was the spiritual mother of Peru's second largest indigenous tribe, the Shipibo-Conibo. And this guy, this Canadian guy named Sebastian Woodruff, shot and killed her allegedly because... Um, her son owed him money. He was there to learn ayahuasca and yeah. I guess he didn't feel like he'd gotten his money's worth. So he killed her. He killed this this woman, the shaman, the spiritual leader of the second largest tribe in in Peru. And he was Canadian? Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was surprising.
2: Not a very Canadian thing to do.
1: No, it really wasn't. But the, um, the whole thing really revealed the, the problems that, that have been developing from this ayahuasca tourism. First, this guy was down there and wanted to learn about ayahuasca so he could take it back to Canada and appropriate this culture. That was right. problem one. Two, he didn't get his money's worth, so he shot and killed the woman who was supposed to be teaching him. It's a big problem as well. But then also between the ayahuasqueros and the practitioners uh, who are, are hosting these tourists and then the governments of the countries that they're hosting them in, there's tensions there as well. Because this village said there's police everywhere. The police never come here. Yeah. But then a Canadian man goes missing and now our village is overrun with with police. Like what's the what's going on here? Um, so there's there's a lot of tension that's being – there's a, a lot of simmering tension that's being heated by this this Western ayahuasca tourism. And um, it's kind of largely in part because it's unregulated, but also because a lot of people going down there don't have respect for what they're doing. Right. And then also a lot of the people who are popping up as ayahuasqueros uh, don't have any respect for what they're doing either. So the the respect that's been given to this this tradition for so many hundreds or thousands of years is being lost and then on top of that the ayahuasca that they're they're drinking is so wildly more potent than what it, it traditionally was all those hundreds of thousands of years you know the jesuit's version of ayahuasca um that's really kind of f- i think fueling this kind of recklessness that's that's becoming a part and parcel with ayahuasca use down in in south america
2: Yeah, because some of these areas are are poor, and Mm -hmm. so all of a sudden it becomes a a hip thing for uh, Westerners with money to come down there with cold, hard cash, and then, like you said, they're appropriating their culture, so that's one strike, but then to appeal to these people, all of a sudden they're not as like, you know, we don't want to freak people out maybe by being too traditional. So we're going to westernize our own methods a bit. Mm-hmm. So, and let's, hey, let's get a website going. Uh, and then we'll be the go-to for when they come down here. So then they're undermining their own culture Um and it's just sort of becoming a big mess it sounds like.
1: Yeah, and again, I think like if you're going down there like whether you're western or um asian or whoever you are, if you're going down for a vision quest, that's not that's not what's being, you know, brought out as as the fault. The fault right. is if you're if you're going down there because it's hip or because you uh, just want to party or because a friend did it. Yeah. Um and you're not you're not being respectful of it, then that's where the the issue seems to be arising from. Yeah. Ayahuasca.
2: You got anything else?
1: do. oh yeah, there is one thing that we didn't cover um that that can happen. Because the copy vine is a M- MAO inhibitor, there's a lot of other things um that can actually kill you that are pretty normal, like, oh, like cho- interactions. Chocolate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can have drug interactions with things as normal as chocolate. Yeah. Because the the um monoamine oxidase typically breaks these things down uh and if it's being inhibited so that the ayahuasca can work its effects you if you eat chocolate you're toast yeah and one of the other things that um that it can do is so the the mono the maois prevent uh your serotonin from being taken up and that's how dmt acts on the brain it goes into where serotonin receptors normally fit and just says let's party right yeah um, so, with all this extra serotonin floating around, if you also happen to be on an SSRI, a serotonin uh, reuptake inhibitor, yeah, uh, you've got too much serotonin, you can go into what's called serotonin shock. This is where the diarrhea comes in. Uh, that's one of the... Um, the symptoms of serotonin shock, but that's one of the mild symptoms. You can also um, have seizures. Your heart can also stop, and you can die from having too much serotonin flooding your brain. So that is a direct way you can die from ayahuasca, but it's not from the hallucinogen uh, aspect of it. It's from the MAOI.
2: So when when they show up from uh, the Silicon Valley... And they say they're translating, and they're like, "Hey, bro, he wants to know if you got anything, if you've had anything in your body." And then you're like, "No, just my my Alexa and a, a wolf down at Toblerone on the way way over. <laughs> I'm good. Right? Let's do this. Yeah, let's we'll skip the ceremony. Just let me drink that stuff.
1: Right? You just yeah, you mash the shaman's face out of your way. <laughs> like, get out of here. Just give me that. I uh, now I know why we haven't been selling tickets in Seattle so much.
2: <laughs> oh no, Seattle, we love. That's not Silicon Valley. <laughs> oh, that's right. I mean, love San Francisco, too. We love, all, we love all people.
1: We love all of you, everybody. We love all potential ticket buyers. <laughs> Our egos are are down in the pits. Yes. Uh, if you want to know more about ayahuasca, man, do some research. Uh, there's a lot of it out there, so do it. Um, and since I said that, it's time for Listener Mail.
2: Yeah, I'm going to call this short and sweet, but we did get an answer to something Uh Remember in the uh, Fire Twux episode, mm-hmm. you could not remember that game. hmm And we got everything from SimCity to... Uh, Civilization. Yeah, none of them were right. But our friend, our new pal, Mike Mangoba... Mike. ...says this. Guys that just listened to the Fire Twux episode... And also, shout out to two things. All the people who wrote in and spelled it Fire Twux. <laughs> yeah. <hats laughs> and then off. all the uh, firefighters... We heard from a lot of firefighters.
1: And they all, every single one of them said, yep, it's chilly. Josh did not overstate (laughs) the chilly thing.
2: Yeah, and they were all very nice and said, you guys got most of this right. Um, Anytime it's something uh, really specific like that, we're going to get some stuff wrong. Mm -hmm. But uh, they were like, you guys did a good job. And one of them even had a joke that said, "Uh, if you're at a party, how do you know if there's a firefighter there? And the answer is, oh, don't worry, they'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) That was from a firefighter. Nice. So I guess they have a sense of humor about it. Uh, So anyway, uh, guys, listen to the Fire Talks episode, and he talked about the old game that burns buildings to the ground if you don't have a fire station, and that game is called Pharaoh. Yes. Pharaoh. Yep. P-H-A-R-A-O-H.
1: Yep, you're building an Egyptian civilization.
2: Yep, and he said it's an expansion game. Uh, the expansion game is called Cleopatra, and it was one of my favorite games, which I still play today.
1: Keep up the chatter,
2: Mike Mangoba.
1: Thanks a lot, Mike. That's exactly what it was. I never in a million years would have remembered that, but it was indeed. Gobes. Uh, oh, is that what we're calling him? Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, Gobes. Well, if you want to be like Gobes and rescue us by reminding me of something I can't remember what it was, or just correcting my syntax... You can get in touch with us. We're all over social. You can find those links at stuffyoushouldknow.com. And you can just send us an email. Wrap it up, spank it on the bottom, and send it off to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.